Welcome to Drugs Did This, a conversation about the impact of alcohol and other drugs on people who live in the center of the Tar Heel State. We will share stories from people in recovery, from people who have lost loved ones to addiction, and from people whose loved ones are still ensnared by their addictions. We will hear from people in the community. It may be a counselor, a paramedic, or a police officer, people whose jobs bring them in daily contact with those struggling with addiction. My name is Chip Womack. I will be your host. After more than three decades as a journalist, I now work at Keaton's Place, a recovery resource center in Asheboro, North Carolina, which brings you this weekly podcast. Our guests today are Bradley Cooper, Captain Bradley Cooper, and Sergeant Jason Burgess with Randolph County Emergency Services. They're here to share a little bit of history, some facts and figures, and maybe personal insight into how the opioid crisis has impacted Randolph County over the past few years and on a daily basis now. Let's start off off by letting these uh, fellas tell us a little bit about themselves. Uh, Captain Cooper, you want to start? Yes. Uh, we, uh, we appreciate you having us here today, Chip, to talk about this. Um, as Chip said, my name is Bradley Cooper. I'm the Assistant Operations Officer for uh, EMS specifically. I'm, a, I'm responsible for the day-to-day operations. Um, so I'm not out in the field quite as often as uh, – my counterpart, Mr. Burgess, is, um, so he can speak to uh, some of the stuff that our emergency responders see and deal with every day. Um, and with that, I'll turn it over to him. I don't have a blank one. My name was. <laughs> um, thank you again for having us, Chip. Uh, my name's Jason Burgess. I'm a sergeant on A shift here in Randolph County. Uh, I do ride a lot on the unit and assist um, calls with units when I am not currently on a unit myself. So I do have a lot of face-to-face interaction with patients and um, individuals going through the topics we're going to cover today. And I've been doing this since 2011, been a paramedic since 2012, and be glad to answer any questions you have for me. The words opioid crisis are are words that most people are familiar with uh, and have been in the news for several years now. Randolph County was among the first counties in North Carolina, if not the first, to convene uh, a meeting of a lot of interested parties about the opioid crisis, and that was in 2017. Um, For the past several years, the numbers, EMS has tracked the numbers in Randolph County related to overdoses, uh, fatal overdoses included, and uh, we want to talk about that a little bit. But if you want to just set the stage, uh, Captain Cooper, about what the history is in Randolph County as it relates to opioids and how you have seen it evolve. Well, um, I've been doing this for 15 years, and I can remember when I come to work for Randolph County in 2008, 
Um, we would order Narcan maybe once every three or four months. And Narcan is? Narcan is a, a drug that we give um, to folks who are experiencing an opioid overdose. And basically what it does is it goes into the drug receptors and blocks the drug against the receptor. So it increases people's respiratory drive because that's, that's what our, our, that's what people die from, from an opioid ever overdose is the lack of oxygen, hypoxia. Um, not, not an overdose of the, of the opioid. It's, it's, it suppresses the respiratory drive, which causes, um, you know, hypoxia, which will turn into cardiac arrest. But the, um, the the amount that of Narcan that we've had to begin purchasing has just gone through the roof, specifically for the the opioids. Um, like we talked about before, um, you know, there's there's so many different other drugs that are people that people are overdosing on, and and alcohol being one of them. But unfortunately, most of those drugs we don't have a um, there's not a medication that we can use to reverse. So, um, just in the last, I would say since 2016, it's really, uh, gotten bad. We've really started tracking the numbers though, since 2019, prior to 2019, we really didn't have a good way of, um, documenting or, uh, tracking these numbers. So the numbers prior to, uh, 2019, were they as high as they were when you started tracking in 2019 or, or? Do you recall? Do you, just I know you don't have the numbers, but do yeah. you recall the the volume and the number of of overdose calls that you you were receiving in twenty sixteen? Yeah, I would say it's it's not it wasn't as high as it has been, um, according to the numbers. Um, really, the, de- the the only year we've had a decrease in the numbers since I began working here in two thousand eight was in 2020 and i think that's just responsible because of the pandemic um because i think folks were um nervous about going to the hospital or calling 911 because of the way covid was spreading so rapidly uh rapidly but um i do know the numbers have increased since 2008 slowly but surely but the last i'd say the last five six years it's it's been almost exponential so in 2008, when you started, you were using Narcan? We were, yeah. And, and how often would you say you might use Narcan uh, on a call in 2008? I'd say once every three months, maybe. Once every six months. Um, it was, most of the time it was expiring before we could have a chance to use it. And so today, how often might? You use Narcan on a call. Um, they're probably at a twelve-hour shift. I wouldn't, especially here in Asheboro or Archdale, Randleman, two and twelve hours probably. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, um, probably two and twelve hours. Um, I mean, I think we're going through forty or fifty a month, and that's for the entire county. And and you obviously respond to overdose calls that are not related to opioids. Uh, 
Are those numbers tracked in the monthly totals that are? Not not what's on the dashboard. Um, the dashboard is just specifically related to opioids. Is is the are the numbers that you keep uh, self reporting? So when you go to an overdose, someone tells you this is what I was using. Yes, and that's where these numbers come from. Yes, unless it's a fatal, and then it's uh, most of the time it's an assumption. Um, unless we get confirmation from the medical examiner's office. Do you remember fatal overdoses from 2008? No, no, not at all. I mean, it would, I'm sure it's happened, but it would be, it would be rare then, um, for them to be fatal. The numbers that you have, uh, start in 2019 yes 2019 there were 36 fatal 2020 there were 53 fatal 2021 there were 74 fatal 2022 there were 83 fatal and that's that's year end in 2022 the number of overdoses themselves uh, were a little higher last year than previous years yes um yeah it looks like uh we went from it's about a almost two hundred more, and you also track uh, uses of of Narcan, not just that you administer, but uh, that uh, law enforcement and, and bystanders. And how are those numbers tracked? Um, those numbers are tracked by our CAD system, so the nine one one operators um, they are trained, and it's in their their questions is Narcan available. If it is available, they are instructed on how to use it or how to give it or when to give it. Um, then we, if law enforcement gets there and uses it, they call into communications on the radio and advise Narcan's been administered. Same way with fire department. And of course we pull all the EMS Narcan usage data straight from our um, ACR reports, our ambulance call reports. Um, so that's that's really how we track it. Or and then, like I said, the bystander um, from that's all pulled from the CAD. Uh, would it be correct to say that uh, the availability of Narcan has risen dramatically? Yeah. And I know all law enforcement uh, agencies in the county don't have Narcan now, uh, and of course, many bystanders would not have had Narcan perhaps in 2019. Those numbers have gone up, have they not? Yeah. Yes, they have. Um, and we also offer um, a training class that we put any any law enforcement agency that's interested in obtaining Narcan goes through our, our training class. It's about a four-hour training class to talk about how to use it, how much to use, when to use it, um, so they're just not using it in the dark. Uh, same way with our fire departments. Our fire departments are required to take this training every two years because this is a, an expanded scope of practice for them. We uh, distribute Narcan uh, through Keaton's Place, and uh, there are other sources of Narcan for individuals in our area, and some people are surprised that that we can do that, that it's legal to do that. But it is legal, and 
the effects of Narcan, if somebody is not having an overdose, are what? And you use Narcan? Uh, there's no effects. Um, there is a a very, very small percentage. Um, there was a study done several years ago, and I'm not going to quote it, but there's a small, I'm talking less than a 1% chance that somebody could go into pulmonary edema if they received Narcan and they not need it. Uh, pulmonary edema essentially is uh, where fluid gets in the lungs. It makes them hard for them to breathe. Um, but it's 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 you're looking at what's is the juice worth worth the squeeze? You know, so if you suspect somebody's having an opioid overdose, it's always best to give Narcan, and then. Um, Either when we get there or we take them to the hospital, if pulmonary edema does happen, then we can fix it. Uh, the law enforcement agencies can can go through the training or fire firefighters. Uh, what about uh, members of the public? Uh, um, we we don't necessarily offer training to the public. Um, ours are geared more towards medical or first responder. Um, not not necessarily lay people. It's not difficult to use, is it? Mm-mm. No, it's not. Uh, most of the ones that um, that folks hand out is um, it's just um, like a, think about a Flonase spray. It's, it goes right in the nose. There's there's nothing to it. But even if you're injecting it, yeah, it it might be. Um, Something that a person is not used to doing, and the thought of stabbing someone with a with a needle is uh, may not be comfortable, but it's not hard. Yeah, you don't have to hit a particular place. Nope. To deliver the Narcan, right? Nope. It just needs to go in the muscle, and that you don't have to be the judge of that because the needle that it comes with, or that it that is supplied with the kit, is already long enough to go in the muscle, in the thigh or the arm, or. Um, of course, those are the, the two best places in the thigh um, or the um, deltoid, the upper arm. Um, so that's where you have the most muscle mass that will create absorption the fastest. Well, let's talk about a little bit about uh, boots on the ground scenario of, you know, what happens when someone calls 911 and says there's an overdose On the like when we arrive type situation from the from the time the call comes in, what happens? So generally, we we keep a very close eye on what we call our CAD notes. So dispatchers giving us information on a on a call screen, and it'll tell us if anyone arrives there before us, law enforcement, fire department, bystanders, and then us, obviously, and they update us on is Narcan available? Have they administered it? Are they scared to administer it? If law enforcement gets there before us, if they administer it, and that gives us a kind of hope, maybe they'll be awake and be able to talk to us when we get there. So when when you get there, then you know whether anyone has administered Narcan, perhaps, although that information may not always be uh, communicated correctly. Right. But uh, if it has not been administered, what happens? If it hasn't been administered, we take a few steps to kind of check the person to kind of see if they may need it or if a little oxygen supplementation will help. So sometimes people are still breathing. They haven't had all their 
receptors um, depressed yet to where they, they're still breathing a little bit on their own, but they're not breathing enough. So they need a little supplemental oxygen. And sometimes that will, we say, wake people up or it'll get their respirations back up high enough where they can become cognitive again and start talking. Um, but that is only temporary. As soon as I take that off, they're going to go back asleep. And so we kind of determine how the good they're breathing and staying awake, whether we determine to use that Narcan or not. But we will always encourage them, please come with us because this is just short term. Even if we give you Narcan, it's short term. We don't know what's going to happen when we leave. So it's always very good for them to go with us to the hospital to have continuous monitoring, make sure they don't go back into that situation where they're not breathing because whoever called might walk away and not be there again when they go to sleep again. My understanding is that sometimes uh, one dose of Narcan is not enough to revive someone. That is true. And like I just mentioned, we give it to increase your respirations, not necessarily make you completely aware. We just want you to start breathing and get oxygen to all your vital organs and cells. Um, So we're going to keep giving it to the amount we can give the max in hopes to get your breathing back. But until that happens, we're going to continue to breathe for you and hope you keep, you come back and breathe on your own. Uh, Cause there is a max amount we can give, which is four currently we can give more than that, but that is without calling and saying, I think they've used more than our Narcan is working. Can we give more? And they will allow us or, or not. Cause we, uh, of course we don't always know what these medications are mixed with or Whatever they may have taken might be a couple different drugs. Some drugs are much more powerful than others. Some doses are much more powerful than others as far as what the individual has used. And that makes a difference into how the Narcan, the effectiveness of the Narcan, correct? Correct. Um, So what happens when the person, if a person is brought back to consciousness, alertness, and you encourage them to to go with you to the hospital? To Yeah, that's what we encourage them to do. And do people always go? I would love to give a number kind of like we have right here to say how many people go and how many people don't. If I had to take a wild if I had to take a wild guess, I would say probably sixty percent go. I would say there's more that go than don't. Um, of course the the first timers uh the first time somebody overdoses is always the scariest time, so they're more willing to go. But we also find the the more often somebody overdoses, the less likely each time they are to be transported. And that's due to them. I would say experiencing Narcan from an overdose before and they may have went to the hospital and said nothing happened again. So what's the chances of it again? But I try to explain to people that this isn't a controlled medication. You don't know. It's kind of like you can read on the back of your soup can how many carbs is in the potatoes you're going to eat. But there's nothing in the back of the medication that they may have taken that said this is going to work for that 100%. And like I said, we don't ever know what's always in it. 
So it's a it's very highly recommended, not for just that, but to try to get them help, whether they want it at the time or not, to try to get another voice of encouragement in there. Those that that do agree to uh, to be transported to the hospital, then what happens there? Is that more for just watching and monitoring what happens? Generally, that's, I would say, most of what's going on, monitoring, making sure they don't go back unconscious and they don't stop breathing again. They are offered help um, for substance abuses, and whether it was intentional or unintentional, so it doesn't happen again. And they also are giving them resources for Narcan so they can have it available in case it does happen and someone's not there that has it. So when you're on the scene and someone has uh, declined for transport, you you spend how much time trying to change their mind? It's different for every call. I could say I've been on one for 10 minutes and it's all I can do to keep them there with me and them not running away. And then I can spend an hour with 15 family members trying each one to give a different story to tell them why. Sometimes that works, but again, it's the ones that have done it before are very comfortable now because they said Narcan worked this time. And occasionally we do get called right back because they go to sleep again because that Narcan was just enough for that short period of time while we were stimulating them to keep them awake. So you might be called back within minutes? Yeah, uh, one recently I can say we probably were back out within 30 minutes. You mentioned that uh, individuals who have overdosed more than one time and have been revived using Narcan more than one time are more familiar with the experience and less willing perhaps to go to the hospital because they think, well, I've made it through this. would it be correct to say that you see some of the same people more than one time? Absolutely. And and maybe a lot more than one time. Absolutely. The same people that may be at the same address or the same people somewhere else? They can be at the same address, the same general location, same couple of streets. Um, and then often we find them in different places in bathrooms of businesses, restaurants. And they're individuals that you recognize from from previous um, calls. It might take Sometimes. us a minute, but most of the time, if we have ran that individual, and the thing about Randolph County, it is quite large, It and we do change individuals who ride on trucks all the time. So you could be just right and never see that person, but they could have been in Ashboro and had an overdose call. 10 times last week, and you've gotten a different provider each time. Uh, I wonder uh, how the people who work with EMS handle the difference between responding to a cardiac arrest, an automobile accident, or an overdose. Or how do you keep doing the same job with the same people over and over again uh, in perspective. Um, our, our folks are extremely resilient. And 
It takes a special kind of person to do this line of work, just like it does any line of work. Um, this this job ain't cut out for everybody. And unfortunately, sometimes um, we reach our maximum call volume to where um, we just we can't do it anymore. Um, the county takes exceptional care of us to be sure that we have resources available to us to and I say to us, to the, you know, the, especially the field providers, um, who are doing this each and every day. Um, we've got a wonderful EAP, EAP program. Sam Varner is, um, ha- has got a lot of good programs out there for us, um, to be able to deal with the stress of just doing the job, seeing the same, you know, it's, um, it's easy for some of our providers to develop a sense of, uh, yeah, detachment and just not caring anymore when they run the same overdose person time and time again and has offered help or, or maybe they've even went and gotten help and now they've relapsed or, you know, that, that, that can wear on a provider. Um, just like it does the family, just like it does the, the patient. Uh, they're not immune either. Um, but our folks are extremely resilient. Um, we've got a good support system at the county um, to help us deal with those kind of stresses. Um, they have each other. There's there's no better person to talk to than um, your coworker who's dealing with the same stresses. Um, so we are uh, we're very fortunate. The stresses of dealing with a any call but particularly a call that results in, in a death must be must be very large. And overdose death is uh, something that occurred 83 times on calls last year. Is there some sort of special protocol for after a death what uh, your your people go through? No, not necessarily. And, um, you know, the, uh, the sad truth of it, Chip, is, um, they may run an overdose in this right now and it results in a death. And 30 minutes later, they're going to run a foul call to pick somebody up off the floor. And then an hour after that, they may run a three month old CPR. And then an hour after that, there's a wreck on the highway. Um, and they just go from one call to one call to one call with very little downtime with the call volume that we're currently experiencing. And that speaks to the resilient, the resiliency that I was talking about earlier. Um, but I wouldn't say there's no special protocol in the eyes of the, of the providers. A death is a death is a death to keep from carrying the, the weight with them. Um, and I just, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to sound, um, I don't want to sound cold when I say that, but, um, it's hard for them to carry that load constantly day in and day out, um, without just trying to be somewhat detached from the emotional side of it. Now they're always there. They're always professional for the family because that becomes your number one patient in any death, whether it's an overdose or three month old CPR, your number one patient at that point is the family. And they are all, they are always professional and compassionate. 
um, while they're there and will are willing to do whatever they can or need to, whether it's call clergy for the family or um, call other family members, whatever they need to do. But after that call's over with, they have to leave that call there and run the next one. You mentioned uh, offering information to individuals who have experienced an overdose uh, as far as resources. What, what, do you, what do you have to share with them? Well, to be honest, we actually used to have more than I would say we currently have. Um, when we started getting this data in 2019, we were partnering with Cooper might actually have to step in and help who this was with. Uh, was it public health? We were trying to partner uh, with to get doses of Narcan and things to give out. If we ran an individual who had an, an opioid overdose um, and give them a, a packet of resources and an Narcan kit in case it happened again so they would be safer and then we would have a follow-up system but as soon as we started developing this program um, the pandemic hit and those programs were more prevalently needed than the opioid epidemic at that time yeah we would we would um Emergency services, EMS especially, before I was in the job that I'm doing now, I was a shift supervisor. And what we would do is we would go out to an overdose, and we would ask the person if they woke up and they decided they didn't want to go to the hospital, are you interested in seeking treatment? If you are, um, we will come back out in two to three days and provide you a Narcan kit, um, we had a peer support person that come with them, a Narcan kit, maybe a, a, a safe needle exchange. And we would line up uh, line up some resources for that person. The problem with that is you're three days too late, Chip. So you have to address it at that time. That's how you get them. Um, another problem is three days later, they may not be in the same location. So we always had trouble finding the people to offer the help or they would just avoid us, which is, which is fine too. Um, but the time to get them is when they're vulnerable, right? When they first wake up um, and they realize the gravity of the situation, that's, that's when the best time to do that is. But like Jason said, as soon, it, as soon as we got knee deep into that program, then the pandemic hit, and all those resources went towards COVID. The uh, Randolph County has one of the highest uh, incidences of overdose and overdose deaths uh, across the state. What about geographic distribution of those calls? Uh, where are most of them? Are they are they cl- clustered together in certain places? Yeah, and that's the uh, for the for the listeners. That's the the beneficial thing about the heat map that we have uh, we have on the county website, and that's where it can be found. But um, if you look on that on that map, it'll show you it's uh, it's not specific enough to be able to be traced down to the house, but you could probably trace it down to a road. Um, but um, yeah, your urban more densely populated areas, Asheboro, Randleman, Archdale, and even the Trinity area is where you see the, the clusters. And it's, it's interesting too, because, um, you can always, if you have an overdose today in Archdale, 
You're going to have probably two or three more today and tonight. So they come in spurts like that to general areas too, we're finding. So uh, sometimes um, we call it a bad batch. Um, You know, you can tell when uh, a new – a new amount comes to a to a city you know you you run toward three or four um overdoses in a short amount of time when a particular uh particularly potent yeah uh, batch of drugs is is available yeah in the area um it is uh mind-boggling but i have talked to people who use drugs who say it does not make sense, but often the drugs that are killing people are the drugs that they want because of the potency. Yeah. The overdose calls that are tracked on this site are just opioids. Um, what about overdose calls that are not opioids? What is... What do what can you do for for these individuals? Um, it's it de- it depends on the type of of drug. Uh, mainly, our our treatment is going to be supportive. So, um, if it's um, if it's meth, and we're looking at a an excited delirium style event, now we have a medication called ketamine that we can give to um, bring this person kind of out of that. Um, and calm them down. Um, but I mean, we have people who overdose on Tylenol, um, you know, and unfortunately there's not much we can do except transport them to the hospital as quickly as possible. So, um, the hospital can administer charcoal. Um, so there's a lot of different drugs out there that is really supportive. Um, but a lot of them aren't as deadly as an opioid. So, um, there's not much really we can we can do we hear reports from people that, who say uh, they thought they were using meth but then when a drug screen was done on what was in their system there were opioids and other drugs so that would factor into how you respond on the scene if somebody tells you they are doing meth how do you how do you go about making the determination that Narcan might be what's needed? Because Narcan is not something that would help somebody with a meth overdose, I don't believe. You're correct in that statement, Chip. Um, so generally, we we get called to, I would say our call notes would might, might not necessarily always say overdose. It might say unconscious or unknown medical. So we don't know. We have to get there kind of do an assessment really quick to see what we think is the most logical reason the person might not be responding to us. So a telltale way that we always tell pretty quickly, if you're laying in a car or sidewalk or the bathroom or anywhere and you're not responding to us, you're shallow breathing, pinpoint pupils, and you have signs that you might be a methamphetamine user or a bystander tell us that I'm your friend, and that's what he said he used. Um, we're going to try to fix your respirations, and generally when they wake up, I I thought I was using meth. What happened? 
And if there's a potential, like I said, this isn't something like potato soup. It's going to tell you how much potatoes in it. So you might have got a little fentanyl mixed in with it or carfentanil or whatever drug might have suppressed their respiratory drive. So at that point, we would give Narcan, not based on what they said they used, but based on what we think might reverse the symptoms that will benefit their life the most. What else about uh, how opioids affect the job you do might be interesting for people to know, if anything, that we haven't talked about? Do you find that people are reluctant to call 911 sometimes? I don't see that. I, I think the reluctancy to it is when the person who is overdosed or potentially gotten to the point where it could get worse, find out we're called. They're, when they first wake up or know we're there, they're initially, I wouldn't say mad, but they're standoffish because they didn't think anything happened because it was just a second ago to them. So they don't know what's going on yet. They don't know why we're there. We have to explain it to them. And then they're more understanding. And then this where we get to that point of, will you go with me? Will you listen to me? Sometimes they're receptive. Sometimes they're not because they might still be in a defensive phase, depending on what happened. So the reaction for somebody who has uh, come back from an overdose can range from just what to what? It can range from, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. It could all the way to violence towards us. Um, there's really no way to know. Even like we talked earlier about people that we know and we have seen and run multiple times, those also differ every time. So not every time is going to be exactly the same with each individual. Um, we hope for the best. We can, That's why we don't try to fully restore consciousness to them intentionally. Uh, most of the time when we get their respiratory drive back, they do come more cognitive and they're able to answer questions. Um, but it, like I said, there's no 100% way to know how much of something was in what they did. So we could give our smallest dose and nothing happened, or they come wide awake. So it's it's really hard for us to give them just enough to slowly come back or for them to just shoot straight up off the stretcher. So that's why that range of, thank you, I'm so sorry, I just relapsed, I never meant to do this, or it was supposed to be math. You know, it was just shocking to their system, and they're very sorry. And I wouldn't say the violence is intentional towards us. It's more of the... They don't know what happened. Everything was just fine. And now I've got a bunch of strangers. It's just no way to know what exactly is going to happen. And a lot of the times, a lot of the times these people are angry at us or a bystander or their friend or something because they, they have, they have gotten their high taken away. Um, so we deal with some of that too. Um, that's, it's not that often. I would say the majority of the folks are thankful for what we do. Um, but also a lot of these people never believed they was actually not breathing. Um, so we run into that a lot, um, where they'll, they'll argue with us about that. They were, they were fine because they don't remember. Yeah. In their mind, they were fine. Just two seconds ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, you know, when you see them and they're blue, 
And then you get there and you breathe for them and they start turning pink and you give Narcan and they start breathing on their own. They don't see that, you know, and um, I feel like they would understand more if they could kind of see the the before. Here's what you here's what you look like just 60 seconds ago. Um, and I think it's important too for the for the listeners to to understand that the Narcan kits that are going in the arm or up the nose takes some time to work. So it's it's not instantaneous. So if if uh, somebody is given that, it's it could take up to ten minutes for that to to absorb for for a response. The one the kind that we give in the vein is pretty much instant. Um, so they come around a lot quicker. If someone is administering Narcan, a, m- a member of the public, they should call nine one one. Absolutely, always. Yeah, yeah. Anytime Narcan is needing to be given, you need to call. And and it just goes back to what we talked about before: is you, we never know how much it's going to take. Um, they could they could re overdose. Um, so there needs to be somebody there. They really need to be evaluated. Um, and then, of course, we would always love for everybody to follow up with some long-term treatment. Okay. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to come share with us today. And perhaps we'll have another conversation down the road. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening. Share this podcast with family and friends. To learn more about Keaton's Place, visit www.keatonsplace.org. That's www.k-e-a-t-o-n-s-p-l-a-c-e.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. The Randolph County Opioid Dashboard Captain Cooper mentioned in our conversation today can be found at www.randolphcountync.org backslash 458 Join us next week for another episode of Drugs Did This Until then, 